The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Thursday edition of PFTOT, the show that we do not long after PFT Live ends. This is for topics we either didn't get to or things we want to continue talking about. And Chris Sims, we're going to get right back into something we discussed during the show. That is the question of whether or not the Cardinals, if they take Kyler Murray with the first overall pick in the draft, should keep quarterback Josh Rosen. It is occurring to me that maybe there is wisdom in the Cardinals keeping both quarterbacks. We broaden that into a discussion of whether or not it makes sense for teams to have two starting quarterbacks or two starting caliber quarterbacks. You're a big believer in that more traditional approach of a clear-cut starter, a clear-cut backup, and no competition of any kind, no sense of competition, no controversy, nothing between number one and number two. Yeah, well, I, you know, I do. I think it sets up a problem within the football team. I mean, you know, 99 out of 100 times, the, the starting quarterback is the leader of the offense at the very least. And a lot of times, certainly in the conversation for the number one leader on a team or the number one or number two leader of a football team. And when you, you know, again, you know, you want to have a good backup quarterback. And we saw that with the Philadelphia Eagles. I understand that. But that's a different scenario than what we have right now And this. This would be two top ten picks who are – uh, on the same roster and are both kind of alpha leader type guys in their own right. And I just think, yes, it's setting up for a disaster that way to where you can divide the locker room, you can divide the fan base and just cause more issues than what it's worth uh, at the end of the day by having two guys that are starting quarterbacks both on the same roster there trying to duel it out and, and win over guys in the locker room on a daily basis. But, you know, you've said as it relates to Antonio Brown that you would have preferred that the Steelers play hardball with him and say, look, this is the way it works. We have a contract. We have you under contract for three more years. You play for us. You play for no one. If you're the Cardinals, you can go to Josh Rosen and say, here's how it's going to be. You have received more than $11 million for one year. You've got $6.2 million coming to you fully guaranteed. We expect you to show up and do whatever job is asked of you. And if you're not the starting quarterback, then you're not the starting quarterback. You're the backup quarterback, and we expect you to behave accordingly, and we expect you to do everything that you are asked to do within the confines of what the CBA requires and applicable team rules. And I don't know what's wrong with that if Kyler Murray is clearly the best guy. Now, maybe Josh Rosen ends up being better. Maybe he's the better guy. And and Kyler Murray just doesn't develop. And I think keeping Rosen is a hedge against Murray being a bust. Then you get the best of both worlds, Chris, because I've been saying it's better to roll the dice on Murray and have him not work out than not take him and have him become a superstar somewhere else. So in that same vein, if you're willing to take the risk that he's going to be a bust, you keep Rosen around as that insurance against it happening so he can be your quarterback if Murray just isn't the guy. Yeah, that, I mean – that's logical in a lot of ways. Yes, I mean, you're, you're right. Okay, in that way. But when you're the number one pick in the draft, 
you know, you got to go all in on making number one work. And, you know, I think there you're just asking, you're not going all in there and you're not going to give the guy who is the number one pick necessarily uh, the confidence that, you know, he's definitely the guy. You're going to send mixed signals, I think, to the rest of your football team too to go, oh, we picked him number one, but we got this guy just in case because we're not sure, whatever it may be. I think those are, you know, uh, viable, you know, issues there with that conversation you know and again with Josh Rosen I just don't think there's two scenarios and you laid out uh, a few of them on the show and I think one you hit on right if they keep Josh Rosen okay on the roster and somebody loses a quarterback in training camp or preseason his his trade value will probably be at its its highest point right there if they do that so maybe that's the thinking of that but if they keep Josh Rosen and he never gets no injuries happen and he never gets to get on the field this year or do anything and Kyler Murray is the starting quarterback man his trade value will be very low next offseason you know right now is the safest play to do it you might not get everything you want if you trade or or the Cardinals might not get everything they want if they trade for Josh Rosen because everybody in the NFL believes they're taking Kyler Murray for one so that lessens the trade value but regardless I just think you're playing with fire I mean you know you know, there's there's just too many instances of two quarterbacks where it doesn't work out. It's just not the right way. I saw my father go through it. It was a stress on the New York Giants in the 91-92 team seasons. Uh, we saw RG3 and Kirk Cousins, you know, a few years back. That led to some issues with the team and the coaching staff and things like that. So uh, I just think you're playing with fire when you have two guys like that who are think they're franchise quarterbacks, were drafted as franchise quarterbacks, and they're on the same roster. Yeah, but, you know, I still think there's a way to work your way through this. I mean, we talk all the time about toughness of quarterbacks, and if they can't handle situations like that, how can you expect them to handle adversity on the field? And I think there's an opportunity to go to Josh Rosen and say, look, Josh, we still really like you, and we think that maybe something could happen here where – You are part of this team, and even if you're not, you're a young guy, quarterbacks are playing deep into their 30s, you're going to have a long career. Look at what Jimmy Garoppolo had to do in New England. He was on the bench, and he eventually got a chance to play, and he played well enough that the 49ers wanted to trade for him, and he's making huge money there, and that's not all that long down the road. So for now, we're exercising our prerogative to keep you here. We want you here. And uh, we, we want to try to make this work and we want you to grow and learn in this offense and you'll be better off for that experience when you are a starting quarterback somewhere else. And then they can they can trade him after they have that conversation, but at least to hold it together. So if they aren't get I, I just look at it this way and I don't know what what the you've said that he's worth a first round pick. So what would be your your floor? If yeah. you're the Cardinals, what is the minimum you take? in order to avoid this situation that you think would be such a potential problem of having both guys on the team. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I would not try trade away anything like in the top 15 of the draft. Like, I look at the Washington Redskins and go, okay, if they really thought, like, this is the guy, okay? Right, uh, but I'm asking you yeah, from the Cardinals' the, perspective, yes. what is what is the least you would take to do the trade? Maybe Short like, of saying, we'll just keep it. Maybe a second rounder with some added picks added into it, right? Something along those lines, whether it's a two and a four 
or a two and a three or a two and a two. I guess something along those lines. I'd have to think about it a little bit more and just hash it out to give you the exact. But I think that's just off the top of my head would kind of be the floor for that kind of trade right off the bat. Hey, this is the other thing, too. And let's move on after this because I have nothing else to say. Maybe you will. But this is one other thing I, I would worry about. Josh Rosen, we know he's a little outspoken, right? You have him on the roster. He's not afraid to speak his mind. We know that. And I really like that about him. But, you know, that's this is the kind of scenario that could be a detriment. Josh Rosen, let's say he's outperforming Kyler Murray, but Kyler Murray's the number one pick in training camp, and they're going to give him, you know, nine lives to fail and do things like that. Josh Rosen now starts to feel like, well, what the hell's going on here? Why aren't I starting preseason game number three? For the last four weeks in training camp, I've dominated this guy. Now he starts mouthing off about he's being disrespected in the locker room or start telling guys, I mean, look, this is like the 10th day in a row. I've outperformed him in practice. They're not giving me a fair shake. That's how issues start in a locker room, and that's what I would be worried about. Yeah, but, but again, if, if they don't get what you think they should get, you're saying they should keep him. Right. I mean, if there's a floor that you don't reach with an offer for, for for Josh Rosen, then the Cardinals need to keep him and maybe wait for the offers to improve by circumstance or whatever over the next year or so. All right, let's move on. Christian McCaffrey, the eighth overall pick in the draft a couple of years ago, had a big workload in 2018. People worry about his size. They worry about him getting injured because, hey, running backs get injured all the time because they get hit all the time. He says there's no need to cut down on his workload. Chris, do you think this is a guy that the Panthers should be protecting or just should they throw caution to the wind and let him go out there and do it all? And when he gets hurt, he gets hurt because, hey, running backs get hurt. Yeah, running backs get hurt. He's a top 10 pick. So first of all, you got to get your money's worth out of it. Uh, second of all, Christian McCaffrey uh, has a knack of not getting crushed in football games. I mean, it, it is. It's a special skill set. Like, we've talked about Russell Wilson, how much he scrambles, but he never lets anybody really hit him square. Same thing with Christian McCaffrey. For a guy who's still a very good runner and a smaller guy, yes, uh, but very good runner between the tackles, even in those scenarios, he's pretty damn good about getting on the edge of, the, of a defender when they're about to hit him and things like that. Now, I would like to see another running back in the fold there uh, in Carolina. I think that's certainly something that they need to do uh, because I do think after three years of this with Christian McCaffrey, it could fall off in a hurry. But for like this year right now, I'm not worried about it yet. He had 197 touches as a rookie, 326 last year, Chris, and he averaged five yards per carry rushing and he had 1,965 total yards from scrimmage. So I think, look, when you make a running back a top 10 pick, yeah. I think you necessarily are saying this is a guy that we are going to make our workhorse. Otherwise, take him in round three, round four, round five, wherever. All right, let's move along to some comments from Bill Belichick regarding scouting of players as it relates to projecting what someone does in the passing game at college to what they will do in the passing game at the pro level. And he pointed out something that I have believed for a long time, that it is very difficult because of the caliber of the opponent. If you are going against a defense that doesn't have highly skilled defensive backs, there's a much bigger margin for error when you're throwing the football. There's less concern about interceptions. There's less concern about guys not getting open. There's less concerns about getting flattened by a great pass rusher. But, you know, Chris, how, how much harder does it make it? When you're looking at film of quarterbacks, how hard is it to try to remind yourself hey, one of the reasons this guy looks so good is because the defense he's playing has a bunch of guys who wouldn't make it in 
the CFL much like the much less the NFL. Huge part of the process that I think gets overlooked not only by media members who are in the draft, but also professional, you know, uh, NFL evaluators at times. And to further what you're saying, yes, you have to evaluate the talent level they're playing against. You have to evaluate also the talent level that's their own, on their own team. You know, that's something I look at. You know, even a comparison like Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke. You know, Dwayne Haskins had the luxury of starting games slow and not taking any chances. And, uh, you know, I might miss a pass because I'm careful here. Because why? He was on Ohio State, and they were the best team on the field like 99 out of 100 times. He had a defense where he goes, you know, I can punt the ball two or three times here to start the game, and it'll still be 0-0. And then you go to a Drew Locke where you go, man, his team's not very good. It's in the SEC. Okay, gosh. And they're the worst team on the field unless they play maybe Vanderbilt uh, every week in the SEC to where he's not afforded that luxury and he's got to take more chances, which can lead to mistakes and things like that. So you have to take that into account. And yes, when I evaluate a Big 12 quarterback right now, right? You know, Will Greer, I think that's a perfect example. I mean, we're not even talking about anybody in the Big 12 on the defensive side of the ball going in the first three rounds of the draft. That's how horrible defense is in the Big 12. Not only are the schemes horrible, the players are horrible, and I think it leads to people over-evaluating a Will, Will Greer in certain cases where I want to go, yeah, okay, here's some good things, and he's a nice little player, but damn, every time he completes a pass, the guy's wide open. There's never any NFL similar type throws to evaluate and when there are similar type throws it usually doesn't work out in the Will Greer's favor so it's a big part of the process sorry for the long-winded answer there you got big you got big problem with the big 12 defense is that what you're saying I do yes the big 12 right now is absolutely horrible it probably led me to uh maybe misevaluate even Baker Mayfield a little bit last year because Oklahoma was the best team in the big 12 it wasn't even close but yes it's a flag football conference it's a far cry from what it used to be when I was there uh it, it is now truly flag football seven on seven 70 points a game and I hate watching it actually what other quarterback came out of the Big 12 recently? Uh, other quarterbacks out of the Big 12 recently? Are you asking me that as in you're knowing? Um, am I missing somebody? No, I'm just curious. I'm curious if there's any, I don't know, uh, reigning MVPs that you may be missing. Well, yes. Patrick Mahomes is there. No question about it. Yes. And there, hey, that's another great example. You're right. That to me, like those examples and Baker and Patrick Mahomes don't overdo it with evaluating some of the maybe defensive players in the Big 12. Just evaluate the talent on the field and what they're doing as a player in general and leave it at that. That's the lesson I learned last year with Baker Mayfield. But will that actually help Greer? Because I know the knee-jerk reaction, and I've fallen victim to this, saying, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, as long as the guy's wide open, will Greer will be fine will it help and and you know what what kind of and Joel Siegel represents Will Greer and he's a great salesman yeah. and he starts working on these play hey look it's the same conference that generated Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield I mean you I Good. could I can hear that pushback yes. and will that convince somebody who's desperate for a quarterback to just roll the dice and say you know what I got I got to give it a shot here maybe this guy is going to be great just like Mayfield and Mahomes were yeah, I think that there will be people that fall to that trap yes and they're going to get fall in the trap of the numbers and the, yes oh He's been coached well by Dana Holgerson, all of those things, yes. But at the end of the day, this is what I would argue, and these are things I saw with Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes that I don't see with Will Greer, is what is it about the player that's special? 
you know, I turned on the film with Mahomes and Mayfield, and on the third throw I watched, I went, these guys are special. Holy cow, they can really throw it. This is unbelievable. And then you go into the athleticism. Greer's arm is below NFL average standards for a starting quarterback. His athleticism is below NFL average standards for a quarterback. And to me, just there from that base premises alone tells you or tells me he's not a top 32 pick. He's not top 45 pick, uh, but he'll probably get overdrafted because he is a quarterback and had good numbers in college. NFL has plenty of star quarterbacks, which makes us compelled to watch it. The AAF had no star players, which contributed to its demise. And Chris, already a couple of class action lawsuits have been filed against the Alliance of American Football and others because the AAF is not going to have any money left by the time the bankruptcy proceeding and the inevitable bankruptcy proceeding is concluded. But other individuals that were involved are going to find themselves dealing with these lawsuits, and there's going to be arguments that they are on the hook individually for this this unpaid money and it uh, it sounds like there's a lot of people out there that didn't get paid there's going to be a lot of legal claims and this all flows from a very basic reality they led us to believe they were fully funded for at least one full season if not more the reality is they weren't and Chris, look, this isn't the kind of thing that rises to the level of of real estate during PFT Live, but it is something that people are very interested in because we're trying to figure out how can an alternate football league work. One key ingredient is having enough money to get through a season. And if you don't, don't try to get through a season because it becomes a house of cards that eventually collapses and you have to pull the plug on it. And then sorting it out is going to be a bigger headache than anyone ever bargained for. And that's where this thing is headed. This is going to be a huge mess for anybody whose fingerprints were on the AAF. Yes. Seems like a rush. I mean, it seems like they should have waited another year to do this. I mean, from the get-go, I listen, I know nothing about being a lawyer and I'm not a good businessman, but I know from the get-go when we talked about this on the show, I kept going, is this even legal? Are they allowed to do this? Like, it just didn't seem right to me that, you know, we can go without paying people's contracts and, you know, uh, rent for stadiums or, you know, not flying home employees, whatever it may be, basic business level stuff. Uh, I figured somebody's head was going to roll for this. And of course, you're, you know, Johnny Lawyer and you're, you seem pretty confident that something, someone's in trouble there. Well, yeah, I think there's going to be some serious issues here as it relates to civil litigation and who knows where it goes from there. But once fraud starts getting thrown around, I mean, fraud is fraud. And the question becomes, how much evidence is there of fraud? Is there fraud? I don't know. But the allegations already been made in one of these lawsuits that's been filed. And there are a lot of people out there who are upset. They believe they were lied to and whether or not they were or weren't is going to play out in a court of law somewhere. But you got a lot of motivated people who are very upset. And uh, I, I think that, that we are going to see plenty of lawsuits and we're going to hear plenty of stories about people who got stiffed by a sports league that created the impression it was going to be fully funded and ultimately was not. All right, last one before we conclude this Thursday edition of PFTOT. Nick Bosa, who is likely to go as high as number two, possibly could still go first overall. He recently explained to ESPN that he stopped with the pro-Donald Trump tweets. And Chris, let me caution you, this isn't a political discourse. He stopped doing it because he's concerned that he may get drafted by the San Francisco 49ers. And these tweets that were very favorable toward the president, if he's drafted by a team in a state that did not vote 
for the president that he's going to have problems with the fan base. And, uh, you know, I, I'd say the smarter thing is just don't. Yes. If you're concerned don't about it, just don't anything. tweet them in the first place. Right. But if you're going to tweet it, then own it. I, I, I guess there's I, I say there's no middle ground here. Either you're going to be one of these stick to sports type people that says nothing that is even remotely political in nature, or you go the other way and say, I'm allowed to say whatever I want. But I say it's one or the other. I don't like the idea of I'm going to say what I think, but oh, wait a minute, I may end up in a place where they don't like what I think, so I'm going to edit myself. I don't really like that. I'd rather he just stick to his guns and stick to his beliefs and say, hey, I I am a human being as well, and I have every right to express my beliefs even if people disagree with those beliefs. Yeah, again, yeah. I mean, or not even bring this up again in an answer or in a conversation to where we're talking about it anyways, and now we know about your tweets, and everybody in San Francisco knows about it, so it really didn't matter about deleting the tweets because Nick Bosa has allowed us to realize they were out there. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that was the most logical thing in the world, certainly. Um, you know, I know he called Colin Kaepernick a clown in those, uh, some of those tweets and things like that. Hey, listen, uh, I don't understand any Anybody in the football world that supports Donald Trump, I really don't. I mean, football is built on respect, accountability, do your job, don't blame others. I have these arguments with some of my coach friends in the NFL who are pro-Trump too. I'm going to go, everything you've preached to me when I was a player or you're preaching to your team right now, you don't care in life, I guess. That's just what it is. And they never have a, a thoughtful answer there. I mean, he's a guy that disrespected our last president by not calling him an American. American citizen. I mean, come on. If there's one clown in our country right now, it's Donald Trump. I'm sorry. That's all I can say about it. He's the biggest millennial we have in the country. He's as bad as Antonio Brown or is it a worse than Odell Beckham Jr. Every time he's mad at somebody, he blames somebody else and tweets it out. He's the biggest millennial we have. And I'm sick of old school people sticking up for this guy who's old, but has these new school baby ways about him. I can't stand. Sorry. I had to go off about it. Can't help it. I'm glad we agreed up front that this wasn't going to be a political yeah, subject. You at all. led me down this road. Sorry. <laughs> but 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 here's 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 the overriding point that I want to drag you back to yes. before we wrap this up. Nick Bosa said I had to delete those tweets because there's a chance I end up in San Francisco. You know what? Maybe he doesn't want to be in San Francisco. But it's an honor to be drafted, even if you're drafted by a team in <laughs> oh, a place where you don't want to live. Honor to be drafted by a team that's won five Super Bowls. Right? Five? Am I right? Yes. Five it's Super been 25 Bowls. 25 years since they were even in. Well, since they won a Super Bowl, they were in it eight yes, years ago. They were in it a few years Seven. ago. But yes, it's still a won great it. honor as the team that has the second pick to pick anybody they can in all of college football. They're going to pick a Nick Bosa. What a great honor for him. He should be very proud. Hey, what, what if Nick Bosa, yeah. we got to go, but what if yeah. Nick Bosa would take this one step farther and say, hey, 49ers, I don't want to play for you. Ooh. Don't draft me. Yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, then so be it. I don't think the 49ers will want them. It's as simple as that. They're not going to want guys that aren't going to want to be a part of the program. They'll move on. They'll find the next guy. Then maybe they draft Quinnen Williams at number two. I don't know who it is, but uh, he can certainly do that. Well, I think Nick Bosa is represented by CAA and Tom Condon, and Condon was the agent for Eli Manning, and uh, Nick Bosa's dad played in the NFL, not to the same degree of success as Archie Manning. Wouldn't it be funny if some, at some point over the next couple—wouldn't it be funny if this was the first step, Chris, 
a strategic first step toward Nick Bosa doing exactly what I'm suggesting, making it known at some point before the draft begins he doesn't want to play for the 49ers. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, that would be uh, that would be very – that would be amazing. We've only seen that a few times in the history of the draft, so that would be amazing. And never from a defensive player. No, never It's from always that. a quarterback. Yep. All right, we got to wrap this up. Great as always. Safe travels to South Bend. We'll Thank check you. you out on Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern for the blue gold game. Who you work with? Is it Burmeister for that? Oh, yeah, the little Burmeister. I can't say his name without saying it in that accent. I don't know what it is, but it's, yeah, Paulie Burmeister. I don't know. It's like I'm from Jersey, and that's how people would say his name. So, Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it's, better, it's better than your Italian accent. That's for damn sure. It's a Paulie Burmeister. <laughs> <laughs> Safe travels. We'll see you on Monday. All right, everybody. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with PFT Live. Big Cat will be joining me and we'll do another PFTOT and plenty of content around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Everybody have a great day. See ya. All right, man. All right, buddy. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.